Psalms, and um, last Sunday you looked at Psalm 27. Uh, This Sunday we're in Psalm 32, and it's interesting, as you look at these Psalms, this says it's a Psalm of David, so it's pretty clear who wrote this Psalm, and when you think of David's life, um, all the highs and the lows of David's life, um, you kind of read this psalm with that in the background. <clears throat> well, this psalm is dealing primarily with the burden of sin. And, and he, we see him giving us a picture of the burden of sin, and then he deals with the, the aspect of his response to that sin. But it, it's interesting, if you'd, you'd look at this aspect, you find several words that describe to us the burden of sin. And honestly, everything in life comes down to how people deal with the burden of sin. I mean, the reality is that sin is in every life. I mean... <clears throat> You can bring that baby home, and it can look so cute, but before it's even able to speak words, it is, it is showing its selfish nature. It is manipulating parents, thinking that it needs attention when its diaper is dry. It, he has been fed, he or she has been fed, but she's crying, or he's crying because They want you to hold them or they want your attention. But as they grow on, the sin nature even manifests itself even more, doesn't it? I mean, you never, you never have to teach a kid to lie. You you never have to do that. That's why, why do they know how to lie? It's born in them. They're born with the sin nature. You never have to teach a kid to be selfish. No parent has ever said, you are just being too kind to everybody else. You're giving all the chocolate chip cookies away, and you never ate one of them. You need to be a little more selfish. You never have to say that, do you? You have to say, wait, don't take the whole plate of chocolate chip cookies. There's others here that want to eat that. We never have to teach a kid. How to throw a temper tantrum, do you? Never. I mean, sin is born within us, and the longer we live, the more that it comes out of us, and and we're like magnets to sin. And for people to say that the problem that mankind has is He's born in a bad environment. If we just put them in good environments, um, then everything would turn out well. No, we're born in sin. We're born with the sin nature. And he uses a number of terms in this psalm. He said, he uses a term in verse 1, transgression. That, that, that's a big term, but we could probably understand it better just as rebellion. Refusing to submit to rightful authority. Just plain out rebellion. And, and we've 
been there when we were kids and even as adults. But a rebellious spirit is born within us. It is amazing how rebellious we are. I mean, sometimes we might not be opposed to doing something, but if someone tells us to do it, then we don't feel like doing it. But we are born with a rebellious nature. <clears throat> and when he uses the term transgression, he, he's identifying it as rebellion. He uses the word in verse 1, sin, that literally means to miss the mark. In other words, there's a target here, and it's the, it's the image of an archer that his bow doesn't have the power to reach the target. He's not able to reach the mark. He falls short. Well, the target is the holiness of God. And it doesn't matter what person there is except Jesus Christ. Every one of us falls far short of the holiness of God. That's what sin. It, it, we miss the mark. We fall short of the holiness of God. He uses another word in verse 2. The word iniquity. It's a word that <coughs> means bent or twisted. In other words, we take the truth of God and we bend it and twist it to fit our liking. How many of you have heard people say, oh, you can make the Bible say anything you want? Have any of you ever heard that? Okay. We won't ask how many of you have ever said it at some time in your life, all right? But pe- people can come and take a piece out of the Bible and and can twist it and bend it and literally attempt to make it say just about anything that they want. Iniquity also bears with it the twisting it to the sense of self-will, that this is what I want, so I'm going to bend it to this. He also uses, in verse 2, another word, guile or deceit. Literally, deliberately, to cover up. To, um, we've heard a lot lately about fake news, right? Saying something that really didn't happen, but presenting it as though it really did happen. The deceit of appearing as something that we really are not. Every one of us in this world carries this weight of sin, and he uses these terms to define this. And it really is a weight of sin. Notice what he says in verses 3 and 4. When I kept silence, my bones grew old. Through my groaning all the day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Sin is a burden. Sin is a weight. I picture it here today as this backpack that has, has weight in it. I hope the backpack doesn't rip out. It's an old one, okay? It is a weight that we carry 
all our life. And many people try to um, deny it and just act like, well, that's a part of life and it's good. But it is a weight that we bear that gets in the way, that truly weighs us down. He said, when I kept silent, when I, when I ignored this, when I tried to act like it doesn't really matter, he said, when I kept silence, my bones grew old, my, my bones waxed old, and it was a, it was a heavy weight. This, this illustration does not properly illustrate it, because it's like if, if you kept adding to this. Do you ever stop to ask, why do people that have all the money they could ever want end up being disillusioned with life and taking their own life or giving up on life? Why are people that have all the fame they could ever want throw their life away? The answer comes back to everybody has a weight of sin that presses down upon us. And and people try to hide this weight through alcohol and drugs and pleasure and sex and all these other things. And yet the weight is there. It, it, it burdens us. And people try to deal with it and say, well, I don't even believe there is a God, so I don't even believe there is sin, so um, don't bother me with that. But the weight is still there. The law of God is written on our hearts. And so the law of God is written on our hearts. We violate his law. We have the weight of sin. And if we don't deal with it, he says, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Day and night there was this weight that was heavy upon me. It's the burden of sin. It's something that every person that has ever lived with has to deal with. What am I going to do with this burden of sin? And so David comes down and he gives us the cure for sin. Verses 3 and 4, he's saying, there is this great, great weight upon me. It's eating me up. It's destroying me. But he says in verse 5, I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I have not hidden. So he's saying, I acknowledge this weight. I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge that I am falling far short. I I acknowledge my iniquity, that I have twisted your law. I have tried to make it fit me but it's still weighing heavy upon me. I have said I will confess my transgressions, my rebellion. I will confess my rebellion to the Lord. And when I did, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. The only cure for sin 
the only cure for this weight that we bear is to confess and seek forgiveness from the one who our sin is against. My sin may involve another person. I may sin against Bruce. But as David said, my sin is against God. My rebellion is against God. It may involve an offense toward another person. But my sin is against God. So I must acknowledge, confess my sin. And in just a moment we'll deal with this aspect of confession. But I must seek forgiveness from the one that I sinned against. And that's God. And that's why Jesus Christ came to take the burden, the penalty of our sin, and pay the penalty for our sin. And he said, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession involves a couple of things. Number one, it involves viewing our sin the same light in which God views it. It it is not saying, well, I may have done something wrong. No, it's God views sin as rebellion against him, falling short, being self-willed. And he identifies sin because he knows it's not good for you or for me. And it's against his very nature. That's the bottom line of sin. It is against the nature of God. So we must come and and it involves viewing our sin the same way God views it. It involves a renunciation of it. I I understand this is how view God God views it, and I understand I do not want that to be any part of my life. I renounce that. It it is not. Oh yeah, I sinned, but I'll well, probably. I kind of like it. It's not just admitting that we sinned. It's confessing, seeing it as God does. It's saying, God, I, I do not want that in my life. I renounce that. I repent. I turn from it. And it's accepting personal responsibility for my sin. I am a sinner not because of my parents or my siblings or my upbringing or any other thing. I am a sinner and this sin I am personally responsible for. So confession is admitting there is a law of God, admitting this weight. I have broken this law. I take personal responsibility. I see, God, why you said it is this. I see it from your perspective, and I do not want that in my life. And initially, it means coming and asking Jesus Christ to forgive our sins and to save our soul. Sin deceives us. Confession means that we, we no longer have the deceit. 
He mentioned in verse 2, in whose spirit there is no longer guile or deceit. We, we quit covering it up. We quit hiding it. We quit excusing it. Proverbs 28.13 says, He that covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes it shall have mercy. So if if I take my if I take my sin and I want to hide it and say, um, see, I can hide it to most people. A lot of you can't see this. You can't see my sin, and I try to stand in a good place so you don't see my sin. And we run, run through life trying to hide our sin. God said, "You will not prosper." Why? Because it's open to God. But he says, if we confess our sin and we say to God, God, this is my sin. I have been rebellious against you. I have been self-willed and, and violating your law. And I come and I confess this before you. <clears throat> he that confesses and forsakes it, God will have mercy. Psalm 32 is a commentary on Proverbs 28:13. He that covers his sin his bones will wax old. We don't have time to go into it, but they're finding out the more they study the the influence that guilt has upon mankind. But he says the cure for it <coughs> is confession. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Wow, he had this great burden that that he couldn't bear that literally was wearing <laughs> wearing him down. And he said, when I came to you, Lord, and I acknowledge my transgression, and I confess my sin, you forgave it. So that, look back at verse 1, his heart is now saying, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Woo! Man, I don't have this burden anymore. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered by the blood of the Lamb. Notice the blessing of the forgiveness. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. The word forgiven means to bear. In other words, Jesus bore our sin. He took our sin. It means to bear, it means to carry away that our sins are forgiven. I'm just going to, I'm going to let this, this illustration fall short in many ways, but hopefully it'll help. And this, this is the garbage, so to speak. And God takes our sin and he bears it and he carries it away. And we do not bear it any longer. Sin is taken away. The Bible says that it's buried in the depths of the deepest sea. 
Your sin is not a cork that is thrown in the sea and then bobs up every once in a while to remind you your sin is like lead. It sinks to the depths of the deepest sea. Forgiven, he says, your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. You start out, go west, young man, and you can go west the rest of your life. And you'll never get to the point where you can't go west. God forgives our sin. And it is separated as far as the east is from the west. He used another term here. Blessed is he whose sin is covered, meaning it is out of sight. God puts our sin out of his sight, which means he never brings it up as a matter of judgment between us and him. In Christ, our sins are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. He uses another term in verse 2. Blessed is the man in whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. The word impute means to put on account. It's not counted against us. Not charged to our account. We're treated as innocent. <clears throat> so David is saying, I carried, I carried this great weight, this sin. Not just in coming to Christ for forgiveness. David, as a a man of faith, brought sin into his life on numerous occasions. And he said, I tried to hide it. And it was weighing me down. It was crushing me. And finally, when I said, I can't do this anymore. And I came and said, God, I confess this sin. I give it to you. God covered my sin it's not, it's not seen. He didn't put it on my account. He forgave it. And David is filled with joy and rejoicing. And he goes on and says, not only is it forgiven, not only is it covered, not only is it not counted. In verse 6, he says, God also then has provided me his protection For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, they shall not come near him, for you are my hiding place. He said, why wouldn't everybody pray to God and say, God, here's my sin. Please forgive my sin. Why wouldn't everyone do that? Because not only are we forgiven and covered, and it's not imputed or put on our account. He said, he is my hiding place. He gives me protection. We don't have the same protection. When I have sin that I am hiding and covering in my life, It, I may try to hide it from all of you, and you may not even see it. You may think, pastor, just putting on some pounds or whatever. But the sin is there. And I cannot claim the protection of God as one whose sin is forgiven, whose sin is covered, whose sin is not put to my account. 
So the, the psalmist says, I am forgiven. I am covered. My sin is covered. It's not counted against me. God provides protection. <coughs> Verse 7, the protection. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with the songs of deliverance. David knew what it was like to have the protection of God when people literally were hunting him. And David knew the torments when no one was hunting him except his own wicked heart. And he claimed the the blessing of this forgiveness and the protection. But notice another benefit of the blessing of forgiveness. Verse 8, I will instruct you. And teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. The instruction, direction, and counsel that God gives when we come clean with him. When we confess our sin. Then God says, I want to I give you instruction. I want to give you counsel. I want to give you direction. This is the way. Walk in it. God's not going to give us direction when we're unwilling to deal with our sin and we're lugging this. Because God knows I'm going to ask you to run a race that you can't run with that weight. And until you deal with that weight, you're not going to get direction. But when we deal with it, Our sins are forgiven. The burden is gone. And we know the personal instruction and direction and counsel of the Lord. So then we read, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. And then he gives a warning. Do not be like the horse or the mule which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, or else they will not come near you. His warning is a warning to the stubborn. He says, you're stubborn and you're arguing, is that a sin to do this and that? Or you're, you're hiding your sin and you are not willing to come to God And we've all been there, and we've all carried our weight of sin and our stubbornness. And he's saying, don't be like a dumb horse that has to have a bit and a bridle put, because they will not obey you unless you break them. And he's saying, don't be that person. Because God loves you enough that he will break you, but the breaking may break you to the point of no return if you're stubborn enough in your hard-heartedness. And he gives this warning, and David knows he's experienced it. After his sin with Bathsheba, he went a whole year covering, hiding his adultery, his deceit, his murder. He went a whole year covering... He knows I was a stubborn mule is what he's saying here. Don't be that person. Don't be stubborn. Come to the Lord. He is more than willing to forgive. He is more than willing to cover. He is more than willing to take it from your account. And then I love how he, how he ends this psalm. 
Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. He said, if you keep hanging on to your sin, there are going to be many, many sorrows. And we could preach a series of, of examples from the Bible of sorrows that people had with their sin. Sin always brings sorrow. There's pleasure in sin for a season. Sin is fun. Now, you could take that out of context and you could say, Pastor said sin is fun. It is fun for a season. But afterwards, it yields a horrible, bitter fruit and the fruit of death. And he says, do not... Continue in the sorrows of sin. But notice what he says. But he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. And notice the command. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Notice the command that he gives us. Back up to verse 6, he's basically saying, you ought to pray. If this is what God does, when we come to God, you ought to pray. Let him, everyone who is godly, pray to you. Why? Because God forgives. He brings us to fellowship with him and protection. He gives us direction. He produces joy in our life. So, verse 11, he's saying... If you are forgiven, if you are a child of God, if you know the joy of a clear conscience, a clear conscience doesn't mean you've never done anything wrong. It means when you sin, you you own it and you say, God, I did sin against you. I was wrong. I ask your forgiveness. He said, if you have that with God, be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy. When's the last time you were glad in the Lord, rejoiced as a righteous person, and shouted for joy? We're Baptists. We don't shout. We're the first ones that will be raptured. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We're the first to go. No, he says that we are to shout for joy. We lose sight of the fact of what we have in Christ and what this whole psalm is. David begins it by saying, Blessed, mightily blessed are those whose sins are forgiven whose transgression is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And then he comes down at the end and he says, if this is true in your life, come back and dwell on this truth. I mean, this sin is forgiven of God. Be glad in the Lord. Rejoice, you righteous And shout for joy. We ought to continually be rejoicing in this truth. But you know what we do? We go around and say, oh man, I've done some stupid things in my life. And 
I'm glad God's forgiven him, but I don't know if he can ever use me. No, rejoice, this is forgiven. Or we'll come alongside someone and say, hey, great, how are you today? Oh, yeah, I, I remember, remember this? I remember, I was there when you did this. God's not doing that. Do you think that's helping the person? As husband and wives, we do that. Yeah, yeah, remember this? Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, 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 yeah. Then we turn it into a digging out of their garbage can, and then we dig out of theirs, and we get all this garbage out, and we are not glad, we are not rejoicing, and we are not shouting for joy. We're shouting at each other. Why? Because we're digging up stuff that God has forgiven. Do you know there should be no one on the face of the earth that has more joy than Christians? Why? My sins are forgiven. It's not on my account. They are covered. The story is told of a wagon train crossing the prairie as it came over a hill It was terrified to see a prairie fire racing toward them as as only prairie fires could, driven by the wind. It seemed as if they would soon be quickly engulfed in the flames. But the leader quickly rode to the rear of the caravan and lit a a dry grass fire behind them. And the same winds which were driving the prairie fire toward them now began this fire that he lit, driving the the fire that way. So they had a fire there and a fire here. The leader quickly, as this fire moved, encouraged the people to get in this land that now had been burned as this fire continued to move the other way. And they turned around and looked. This fire was approaching them. And the leader was relieved when all of the people were in this burned-out area and a little girl cried, Are you sure we're safe here? And the wagon master said, Oh, yes, we're safe. We're safe because we're standing where the fire has already been. In Christ, you are standing where the fire has already been. And we don't need to fear the lies of Satan. We don't need to fear that our sin is ever before us. There was a lady by the name of Marganita Lasky. She was a well-known author and secular humanist, meaning she did not believe in God. And not long before she died in 1988, in a moment of surprising candor in a television interview, She said, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. 
I have nobody to forgive me. Do you understand what she said? She didn't deny the reality of sin. She knew she needed forgiveness. And she said, what I envy most about you Christians is you have someone to forgive you. Without Christ, you have no one to forgive you. And in Christ, we should be glad, we should rejoice, and we should shout for joy. I, I want to invite you. I thought as I was thinking, man, I don't know about you, but I, I'm excited about the fact that I am forgiven. And we often sing the song, and I'll ask um, if they'll come and, and play 478. And I want you to join us as we sing this. In light of what we've just thought about, in light of what we've just done from Psalm 32, I want us to sing verse 1, and um, and then we'll sing verse 3. 478, it is well with my soul. <coughs> when peace like a river.